Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. As many of you know, uh, this is the biggest day of the year for our parish, being the Shrine of Divine Mercy. And for a little context on this feast day, although some of you are probably more familiar with the story than I am, uh, our Lord basically gave a series of revelations to a young Polish nun named Faustina from 1931 to 1938. And throughout the course of these revelations, he asked her to spread this devotion to uh, what he at one point described as, as his greatest attribute, which is mercy. He asked her to spread this devotion throughout the world, primarily uh, through five means. And the easiest way to remember these five parts of the devotion to divine mercy is the acronym FINCH. Uh, one of the little brochures that we usually have in the back of the church kind of describes them in this way. So the F stands for the Feast of Divine Mercy, which is today which Pope St. John Paul II eventually extended to the Universal Church about 20 years ago. Uh, the I stands for the image of divine mercy, uh, which we have hanging above our altar, and which our Lord promised uh, many graces to those who venerate uh, Him in this particular image. Uh, the N stands for the Novena of divine mercy, which ended yesterday. Yesterday was the ninth day of the Novena to divine mercy. The C is the chaplet, which we pray after every Mass, and the H stands for the hour of mercy, which is the three o'clock hour, the hour when Jesus died on the cross. And the Lord asked St. Faustina to encourage people in a particular way to observe that hour, uh, especially on Fridays, but every day, uh, in remembrance of His Passion. So that's sort of the, the, the broad picture of this devotion to divine mercy. And obviously today is sort of the culmination in the yearly cycle of this devotion to divine mercy since, um, since this is the feast. So maybe it's helpful to start with the question, what is mercy? What is mercy? It's a word that's thrown around a lot. Uh, I think there are many definitions you could give, but one sort of image that I'll hold out to you today to maybe help understand what it is we're actually talking about when we talk about mercy uh, is to compare it to the concepts of pity and compassion. So we have these three things, pity, compassion, and mercy. Now again, there are many different ways that you could define these things, but this is just one way so that you can hopefully understand a little bit of what we're getting at when we talk about not only mercy in general, but eventually divine mercy, mercy from God Himself. So if you imagine somebody, to, to just give you an image, somebody stuck in like a, a pit in the ground, right? And they're sort of wallowing in this mud. Somehow they fell in this pit. They're just sort of stuck there. If you walk by the pit and you allow yourself to be moved a little bit interiorly by their plight and by their suffering, you think to yourself, ah, poor them, you know? Um, and you, you allow yourself to be, to be moved a little bit to kind of acknowledge, wow, 
that looks like a rough situation <laughs> that person is in. Right? We can say that in that situation we're sort of having pity on them. Right? We're allowing our heart to be moved in some way. Uh, we're not indifferent. Pity is better than indifference. We don't just walk by the person suffering in this mud pit and just we don't, you know, we don't give you know, <laughs> we don't give any sort of care in the world to them. So it's not indifference, but pity still reserves a kind of distance from the person who is in a particular plight, who is suffering in some way. Pity, we, we sort of uh, retain a, a kind of distance from them. Compassion would be sort of one step further. As many of you know, compassion comes from the Latin words that means to suffer with. So it, it goes one step further than pity where we bridge that gap, we don't remain sort of aloof from the person and kind of acknowledge their suffering from a distance, but we actually stoop down to them and we're willing to, at least for a time, to sort of share in their plight, to share in their suffering. So this would be, to use the same image, this would be like climbing down into the pit with the person, and even if you don't have the strength to pull them out, at least you're going to spend maybe an hour or two with them and just sort of comfort them, right? You're gonna sort of experience their suffering along with them. So this is a, you might say, one step further in love than pity, where we're willing to kind of get down with somebody and suffer alongside them. And then mercy, we would say, is this final step where we actually do have the strength and the willingness to pull someone up out of their suffering, to alleviate it, to pull them out of the pit. This would, this would be what mercy is. The, the, the willingness and the ability to pull someone up out of some kind of suffering. So you think about pulling someone out of sickness and into health by, by sort of helping them with medicine and, and, and so on and so forth. This would be an act of mercy where you're not just spending time with the sick person and offering them compassion, which is good, but if you have the strength and the willingness to actually bring them to a state of health, you do that, you've done them an act of mercy. Pulling someone up from a state of ignorance into a state of knowledge, right? This is another work of mercy pulling someone from, from ignorance to knowledge. Um, you know, bringing someone from a place of discouragement to a place of hope through encouraging them, right? Not just commiserating with them in what they're discouraged about, but actually helping them to move into a place of hope, to pull them up. Right? This, is, this is what mercy is. It's this movement of pulling someone up from a low place to a higher place in some way, shape, or form, right? So this is what we're talking about when we talk about mercy. And when we look at the figure of Jesus, of course, he is the epitome of mercy. Because he goes around and when he finds someone in a low place, whether physically or spiritually, he lifts them up. If they're willing to be lifted up, he lifts them up. If they're suffering some physical pain or disease, he lifts them up out of that, he cures them. If they're suffering from the spiritual disease of sin and they're willing to repent, he pulls them up out of that. He pulls them up and he, and he grants them forgiveness, right? So, before talking a little bit more about divine mercy in our individual lives, which is what I want to draw your attention to most today, 
I think it might be helpful to give you a few quotes from St. Faustina's diary where she was given to know by God how much Satan absolutely hates God's mercy. That he acknowledges God's justice, but not his goodness. And sometimes it can be helpful to get a clear image of the nature of something to sort of like look at its opposite and and compare. So I want to just give you a couple quotes from St. Faustina where the Lord showed her how, how incredibly much Satan hated it when she would begin spreading this message of the Lord's mercy. So here's the first one. St. Faustina wrote at one point, she said, as I write this, she's writing different things about God's mercy. As I write this, I hear Satan grinding his teeth. He cannot stand God's mercy and he keeps banging things in my cell. As many of you know who've read the lives of the saints, sometimes if if a saint has run out of, or uh, the, the devil has run out of options, like all of his temptations are just not working anymore, uh, the Lord will give him permission to actually begin affecting someone's physical environment to try and scare them, right, into uh, no longer following the Lord. You see this in Padre Pio in the lives of many saints. So that's what St. Faustina is saying here is that the Lord in this moment has given the devil permission to just start banging things around in, in herself. Um, the devil is just like a, he's just like a, a teenage bully, right? That's all he is. He just tries to scare us uh, into not following the Lord. So yeah, she keeps going. Uh, he cannot stand God's mercy, keeps banging things in my cell. But I feel so much of God's power within me that it does not even bother me that the enemy of our salvation gets angry and I quietly keep on writing. And then in another place, she said that Satan actually admitted something to her. He said, Satan admitted to me that I am the object of his hatred. He said, a thousand souls do me less harm than you when you speak of the great mercy of the Almighty One. The greatest sinners regain confidence and return to God, and I lose everything. But what is more, you persecute me personally with that unfathomable mercy of the Almighty One. St. Faustina says, I took note of the great hatred Satan has for the mercy of God. He does not want to acknowledge that God is good. Right, so we, we see how much the devil hates the mercy of God, how much he wants to keep us from taking advantage of it, from believing it, from trusting in it. Right? This, the devil wants to do everything to destroy that trust in our heart in God's merciful goodness. So with that in mind, we can take a quick look at the the dominant, most important moments in each of our lives where God's divine mercy has been at work. And there are four of them in particular that all of you here who are are believers have experienced. uh, Well, three of them you've experienced. The fourth one comes uh, at the moment of our death. But the other three we've, we've all experienced. And these are extreme moments where God has found us in some lowly state and he has lifted us up. He's had mercy on us. He's pulled us up from from some lowly place to a high place. The first time this happened was when he created us in our parents, in our mother's womb, right? Where he pulled us from a place. This is astonishing to think about, right? (laughs) Only God can do this. 
He pulled us from a place of non-existence. That's about as low as you can be <laughs> to not even be existing yet. He pulled us from nothingness and He breathed into us life. Right? In Genesis, God formed man of the clay of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. This is a great mercy. This is the first mercy that we received from God was our creation going from nothingness to existence, an infinite gap between those two things. Only God can bridge that gap. The second great divine mercy that we've all experienced, we here who are believers, is uh, the moment of our baptism. And God, in that moment, pulled us from the pit of original sin, a place of complete and total darkness. He pulled us from the pit of original sin, and he raised us up to an astonishing position, an astonishing position to become one of his, a member of his own family, become an adopted son or daughter. Right? The best analogy I think for this is if you imagine yourself as sort of like a child, I don't know, eight, ten years old, who's living on the streets, who has no family, who's just scrounging around for food, barely surviving, doesn't really know happiness. Right? And then all of a sudden, a wealthy billionaire comes along and not only does he decide to take 24 hours of his time to clean this child up, to give him some money to, to buy food, uh, and he, he could in this instance you know, put him in an orphanage for someone else to take care of him. But what this rich man decides to do instead is to actually adopt this child legally and to bring him home with his own kids to live with him in his mansion. This is a pale, a pale image of what God did to us in baptism. To pull us from original sin and to make us members of his own family, parallel to his son Jesus Christ, we become his brother or his sister. This is, this is the second great mercy that, that God has shown to each of us, and it's far beyond anything that any of us deserve. The third great mercy that we've all experienced, I hope, uh, if you haven't, today's your day. The third great mercy is God pulling us up out of our personal sins when we go to confession. Right? The great mercy of God that we experience in the sacrament of mercy, uh, confession. Uh, last week during Holy Week, we had a lot of extra confession times. and um, I, did, I wasn't keeping a strict track, but heard somewhere, somewhere between two and three hundred confessions during Holy Week. And uh, some people will ask, like, oh, doesn't that weigh on you? Like, isn't that, you know, isn't that a huge burden? It's like, no, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite of that. Because you're being an instrument to relieve people of something awful and terrible. In fact, the most terrible thing in this life, which is sin. And you're, you're, you're restoring them to their rightful place within God's family. It's, it's a very freeing thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's not a burden at, at all. Um, St. Jose Maria used to uh, like to talk about confession as the, the, sac it's the sacrament of joy, right? It's, it's not some sort of sad, <laughs> sad, you know, thing that we have to go through. And this for all of us is the, is the third sort of really pivotal place where God has pulled us up from, from a pit, the pit of, of our personal sins, and he's, and he's restored us, um, he's restored us to himself.
Right. The last place where God will, will really exercise his divine mercy in a profound way is at the hour of our death, right? The hour of our death, where he will offer to us what's sometimes called uh, the grace of final perseverance, where we'll be sorely tempted to abandon him at the hour of our death, and he will provide for us this incredible mercy to lift us up out of this exhausting temptation to give up at the very end of our life, and he will lift us up from that with this grace of final perseverance if we don't resist. And death then becomes a doorway into eternal life, right? Just, you know, you talk about getting lifted up. <laughs> lifted up from this veil of tears to, you know, the, the vision of God himself, looking upon him face to face for all eternity. That's, that's a serious mercy <laughs> that, that we're talking about. Right, so today, we, on this feast, we celebrate all of these moments, all of these ways that God has bent down to us, that he has pursued us first and then lifted us up. Um, and so the first thing I would just tell you is to, is to be very, very grateful, so grateful uh, for God's mercy um, for you. And beyond gratitude, how do we respond to his mercy? I would say two things. Number one is trust. Trust in his mercy. This is like the number one thing that Jesus tells St. Faustina over and over again in the diary. People do not trust in my mercy. They don't trust in my goodness. Tell them to trust in me. It hurts me more than anything else when people don't trust in my goodness. Which is a wild thing to say when you think about it. At one point in the diary, he really, he really tells her, it hurts my heart more than anything else when a soul does not trust my mercy. Think about that for a second. The Lord is saying there, if somebody goes off and commits a heinous crime, let's say murder, and they repent and trust in the Lord's mercy, that crime they've committed is less painful to the heart of Jesus than somebody who's committed far less serious sins but who does not trust in His mercy. That lack of trust actually hurts his heart more. How crazy is that? So the first thing that we need to do when faced with this great mercy of God is, is to trust that it's real. To trust that it's real. Another couple things about this from St. Faustina's diary. At one point, Jesus, uh, Jesus says, My child... All your sins have not wounded my heart as painfully as your present lack of trust does. There it is. That after so many efforts of my love and mercy, you should still doubt my goodness. And then, at another point, the Lord is speaking as if to a, a soul with a great many sins, who's approaching death, who, who is who's doubting God's mercy for him. And Jesus says to the soul, be not afraid of your Savior, O sinful soul. I make the first move to come to you, for I know that by yourself you are unable to lift yourself up to me. Child, do not run away from your father. How dear your soul is to me. I have inscribed your name upon my hand. You are engraved as a deep wound in my heart. We need to be thankful for God's mercy. We need to trust in it. And the last thing I would say is we need to show this mercy to other people. 
It would be the height of arrogance to have received these unimaginably good gifts from God, these mercies, and then to turn around and be exacting to count the cost, to keep tally with other people. That should not have a place in the life of a Christian. To have received these sorts of graces and then, and then turn around and, and demand something so small from someone else, to not forgive quickly and easily, to not let go of grudges, right? We have to exercise mercy to others as well. So today, Lord, we give you thanks for this great mercy of yours. Um, we ask you to help us to trust you more, to trust your goodness more and more every day, um, and to be vessels of mercy for others.